You may be seated. Over the course of the last several weeks, we've been looking at the epistle, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. As they were getting started, there were things that Paul knew uh, that they needed to get in right order in terms of their thinking about Jesus and about their calling to be his people, the church. You and I become so comfortable with the scripture that sometimes it is hard to hear what it is saying. And so we look to the scripture in a little different way in order to awaken us. And this morning, as we have set the precedent of doing this morning, I will read from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase called The Message. Some of you may have that Bible. I uh, want to encourage you to listen carefully to this reading of Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity. He restored We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, 
high or low, thinkable or unthinkable. Absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. It was brilliant marketing strategy in the 1950s when Lookout Mountain became a tourist destination spot. Some of you may remember when the signs began to appear, hundreds of barns, literally hundreds of barns, received a fresh coat of red paint for the right to place a billboard on their roofs which said Sea Rock City. Have you seen these before? A lot of them are faded out. They're beginning to repaint some of them now, but a lot of them have faded out with age. I imagine some of the barns have even fallen in. You might see one occasionally that says C7 states from atop Lookout Mountain. Well, our family was taken in by the advertisements. Was yours? If you haven't been there, you, well, you aren't really Southern if you haven't been there. You really can't call yourself a Southerner unless you've been to see Rock City. Oh, but the hype, Lord help us. Enchanted Trail, Fat Man Squeeze, Balanced Rock, the Rainbow Hall. Mother Goose Village. You haven't seen that? Come on. You haven't lived until you've been to Rock City. At least that's what the advertisements would have us to believe. But you get there and you think to yourself, what is this all about? I want to go back up to Lookout Mountain one day and just think about the mountain without all of the hype because it actually is a pretty remarkable place. We've spent so much time over the course of the life of the church these past 2,000 years in trying to to understand the deep significance of Romans chapter 8 that I almost wonder if we haven't worn it out with the hype. I wish you'd take a step back for just a moment and look at it again because Truly, it is the pinnacle of the Apostle Paul's writing. And it shouldn't be missed. These words that we remember so well in our spirits can speak to us once again. There are three things that come to my mind that particularly speak to me from this passage that we've shared this morning. First, God can hear what we can't 
say. This is pretty simple. God can hear what we can't say. The way Eugene Peterson said it here is the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the Spirit of God interceding on your behalf? I don't know if you realize that preachers get called on a lot to pray. It's okay. But it is sort of, it's sort of one of those professional duties that you have to deal with almost on a daily basis. Um, even in our family, preachers get called on to pray. And I remember sitting around the table a few years back with our family. There were nephews and nieces there and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And there at the table, Sue's mother called on me to pray. Now, if any of you knew her mother, you would say, oh, she should be the one that's doing the praying. She is a saint if ever there was one. But she called on me to pray. And I was bowing my head and forming the words in my mind when from the other side of the table, this little five-year-old voice came out saying, no, no, I want to pray. I'm a good prayer. My nephew wanted his place, and I deferred to him right quickly. And I said, of course you are a good prayer. You do the praying for us today. I did not realize what I had started. As Trey began to pray, he didn't close his eyes. He began looking around the table and thanking God for everybody that was seated at the table by name. He was going through every single person. And when he got to the end of the circle, you know what he did? He began looking around the room and thanking God for every single thing he saw in that room. Finally, his mother caught him by the elbow and said, okay, bring it to a close now. Some people have no problem with the words, you know. But I have a feeling that you've been at that place before where the words come pretty difficult. When things happen in your life that rob you of the ability to know what to say to God. Have you ever been at that place where you were speechless? I call her our prayer dog. That's not meant to offend the little dog that we have now, whose name is Tootie. She's a miniature dachshund. I'm referring, actually, to the dog who we had before, Tootie. Nudge was a mutt that wandered into our lives years ago. And she was the most gentle creature. The thing that I most remember about her is that she 
knew how to do good counseling with me. When life became very difficult, I could sit on the back steps. Nudge would come and sit beside me. And I would just hug that shaggy dog. I didn't have to say anything, and she didn't say anything to me. But somehow, God did some healing work that I know for a fact was prayer. I know for a fact it was prayer. I had a friend whom I was near this week, and in talking with him, he was dealing with some dark stuff. In fact, tears welled up in his eyes, and he was saying to me, he was saying, Bill, he said, I was thinking, he said, I was praying. He said, no, I was thinking. He said, I don't know what it was anymore. I was either thinking or I was praying. It all runs together now. And he shared with me what was on his mind. But I thought to myself, how perfect is that? That he doesn't, he doesn't know when the prayer begins and when the prayer ceases. That somehow God, in his heart, in his mind, has made that connection to simply be a person of prayer. You may not know what to say. I mean, what can you say in some situations? The sorrow is too great. The loss, the grief, you don't know what to say. And yet the beautiful thing, Paul says, even when we don't know what to say, in fact, especially when we don't know what to say, God's Spirit speaks for us. Friends, that's something that we ought to remember. Point number two that I'm thinking about today. It is hard to read this passage without sensing John Calvin's presence. Now, you know who John Calvin was, don't you? This 16th century French theologian who was one of those great voices of Protestant Reformation, and as he did his work in trying to bring the church back to what it should be, he spoke things of great significance. In fact, the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, at one point said, there's not but a hair's breadth difference between my thinking and John Calvin's thinking. Now, it was an important difference. In fact, it formed different denominations. But John Calvin was so focused on this thing called predestination. Isn't that a, a churchy word? Let me read for you what it says here in the New Revised Standard Version that you perhaps will remember. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, 
he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. But John Wesley, when John Calvin got off on that tangent and began to to deal with this idea of what does that election mean? Is it this unconditional election? When he began to talk about grace as if it was something that was irresistible, something that, that was so powerful that you could not have any kind of control over that, John Wesley said, okay, wait, we have to, we have to break fellowship at this point. Even though my heart is as your heart is, I have a very different understanding because we can always resist grace. We make our decisions based on the free grace that God gives us to follow him or not follow him. It's critical that we get this right, lest anyone think that you and I are simply among the quote-unquote chosen elect. But it's also right that we remember that all of this is God's doing for us. Don't you hear that in the midst of the words that the Apostle Paul is speaking to us? This is God at work all around us. In fact, this is the very reason that we bring babies for baptism in the Methodist church. Because it is a sign to us that God is at work in our lives before we even realize that God is at work in our lives. God is sovereign. And yet that does not replace our human responsibility. This is God's way of linking us with his nature. You remember Jesus at that last supper spoke to his disciples and he reminded them, I chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you. That didn't mean that they did not have to make decisions to follow. But they knew They knew what he was saying was true. That this calling captures us. Third for me, and finally that I want to share with you this morning. The final destination for Paul is the thought, if God is for us, who is against us? This is a litany of praise. In our lives, surely we have discovered this by now. Knowing some of the difficult things as your pastor that you are presently going through. Not just things in your past that you've been through, but that you are presently going through. Isn't it a miracle that we can still believe that God is at work in us? You see, Paul was looking at himself here when he was saying, 
who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I can tell you that if you go up Lookout Mountain intent on seeing seven states that you will be disappointed. I've done that, okay? You can stand there on the edge of that mountain with the sign in front of you that says Florida is that way and South Carolina is this way and Tennessee is this way and Alabama is that way. You can stand there and still you don't get it if you're looking really, really hard because there's nothing that defines that. But if you'll simply go up there, forget the idea that there's seven states out there. If you'll just stand and look off the edge of that mountain, it's incredible the view. It is incredible, the view. Do you get that feeling just from thinking about what Paul is talking about here? Do you get a sense of the richness of standing and just looking at what Christ is able to do? It's the very nature of God. Let me make it easier. Who's the most compassionate person that you know? Think about that just a minute. Who is the most compassionate person that you know now or have known in your life? Think about that for just a moment. Now let me ask you. Is there anything that you could do to make that person not love you? Is there? It's impossible. Because the power of love is its never-ending nature. And so what are we fearing? And what is it that drags us down in our lives? What is our worry today? That somehow God is not going to be sufficient for our situations? That somehow there is not going to be enough of God to go around for our situation look off this height with me and marvel and think about what God might do for you God is very present he is very present we are convinced that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads for just a moment of prayer together. Oh, Father, as we come to this time of remembrance with you, we are grateful, so grateful for the promise that we have received in Jesus Christ. Forgive us when we have moments of doubt at your sufficiency. When we are caught without a word to say in your presence, you've always been sufficient for us. You've even filled in the blanks for us when we did not know the words to speak. And Father, we know that your calling has always been there. We pray, Father, that you would help us again today to see your holy love, to be filled with your nature, to be your people, even in the midst of what we thought was insurmountable. Lord, remind us of your precious nature to conquer over all. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.